So I can get helicopters, I can get doctors, I can get, you know, police and fire, but what I can't get is time. Time is the only resource that I cannot get more of. So how do I combat that? It's timely and effective communication. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Josh Anderson and Stacy Gavrell of Valley View Hospital in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. Josh, Stacy, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? Doing well. Great. Thanks for having us. Fantastic. Well, our topic today is solving for safety challenges in at-risk environments. But before we begin, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about Valley View Hospital, as well as your roles and responsibilities there? Josh, maybe you can go first. Sure. So my name is Josh Anderson. I handle safety, security, and emergency management here at Valley View Hospital. Excellent. Stacy. Uh, my name is Stacy Gavrell, and I've been at Valley View since 2009. I'm a member of our executive team, and one of the many hats I'm fortunate to wear is our public information officer role, working with Josh and an incredible team. All right, wonderful. Well, Josh, can you tell our listeners just a a little bit about your location and the types of unique challenges that it creates for you and your team? Yeah, so Valley View is a hospital located on the western slope of Colorado. It is at roughly 5,300 feet above sea level. However, we are surrounded by a mountainous terrain that is in excess of 8,000 feet. So in this geographic location, we have one major highway that feeds in and out of Glenwood Springs, where Valley View is located. And then we have a smaller highway that leads south. However, we are a large tourist destination, along with seasonal homeowners that come and go. Where exactly is it? I'm trying to think as I drive down I-70. Sure. So most of you all have heard about, you know, Vail or Aspen, where the movie stars live. We are actually (laughs) located just outside of that geographic region. And because of the mountainous terrain, we are only able to have really one or two ways in and out of this valley, which presents a number of hazards, both man-made and natural for this area. For example, within the last couple of years, we've had rock slides, mudslides, and even some of the largest forest fires in Colorado's history, only a few miles from our facility. Oh, wow. Well, Stacy, can you riff on that a little bit? Like based on what he just shared, do you have a good example of a a real scenario and how it impacted your employees and patients? Absolutely. So just last year in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, we also had the Grizzly Creek Fire, which is an incredible canyon along the I-70 corridor. This fire was massive. It made national headlines. And one of the key things as the fire was developing was its potential impact on the hospital in Glenwood Springs. As the crow flies, the the fire was just a few miles away from our campus. And so it really required fast thinking and fast communication to be able to prepare for myriad of scenarios from this wildfire. And so one of the things that we started working on was you know, how can we anticipate potentially needing to evacuate the hospital? How do we need to anticipate staffing and provider shift changes? Because as Josh shared, you know, that I-70 quarter is just so vital, not only to the entire region and as an interstate highway, the entire state, but just having that profound impact on our ability to fulfill our mission and caring for patients. 
So one of the things we do really for any incident is to just be able to be plugged into the larger community response. So thankfully, there were incredible teams deployed to the fire, and then we were able to start getting more real-time information on the status of the fire, which was my role as a public information officer, just having that dynamic interaction, feeding information to Josh and the team here so that in turn, we could make sure we were ready. How frequently does that get shut down as far as the corridor is concerned? Is it is it something like once a year, once every three years, or is it more frequent than that? I can jump in on that one. It's interesting because there's hazards on both the west and the east side of the corridor, right. whether it's a fire or it's an accident. Unfortunately, today we have an accident that's likely going to close the west side of the corridor for the next six hours. So depending on the hazard, this corridor to our hospital closes more than five times a year for an extended period of time. When I say extended period of time, that's more than four hours. And it could be even hours, days. And and what Stacy was saying, the Grizzly Creek fire, it was closed for weeks. Wow. So Stacy, how do you guys get patients coming into the hospital or getting your ambulances or team out to people that need help? Well, I think for the effective area for the Grizzly Creek fire, it was really trying to work with the fires incident command team Mm. and really not only support them and their life safety, right? Because as the medical provider for a firefighter or any of the response teams there, but also how do we get... you know, people transported. So I think it's, you know, so much of of it is about information and communication and having real-time information, real-time communication from the incident to then feed into folks like Josh and the medical staff who really have that expertise to to translate the scenario into a response. Do you all have more off-road type vehicles than the average hospital might to help get into kind of crazy backwoods areas or more air vehicles? So that's a really good question, Peter. We actually do have our own helicopter here on site. We also have a fixed wing that we're accompanied with. So we do have the ability to fly in and out based on rugged terrain. But it's also, you have to look at the time of the year. If it's bad weather or the roads are impassable, we are a regional medical facility. So it's often the neighboring hospitals looking to us for help. And I think you you touched on a really good point there, Peter. Hospitals, even during disasters or the worst times, they can't be turned off. You can't close your doors. And in fact, a lot of individuals, either whether it's from the public or first responders, rely even more heavily on hospitals in these disaster scenarios. And it could range from everything from, hey, I'm not from the area, you know, I'm cut off from the highway. Can I come to the hospital to get my insulin? Or it can range mm. all the way up to, you know, there's a trauma occurring and a hazmat incident. So the hospitals definitely become a key player in, in, you know, really going back to the main point of employee safety. What we use alert media for in our mass communication is really just communication and information. Something that I cannot obtain in a resource. I can get helicopters. I can get doctors. I can get, you know, police and fire. But what I can't get is time. Time is the only resource that I cannot get more of. So how do I combat that? It's it's timely and effective communication. This allows me to mobilize my teams quickly. It allows me to push information out to the staff. And you have to remember with a facility of roughly uh, 1,200 employees, they're all healthcare workers or clinicians, but they're also mothers and fathers and parents and all these other secondary roles that they live in their normal lives. So I always encourage our staff members to get as much information as possible and then to handle their home life so that they can handle the emergency response aspect as well. 
Mm, I like that. Yep. If your house is in order, it's kind of like you're on a plane, put your mask on first so you can help others. Exactly. <laughs> well, I can imagine that you have a pretty unique incident command team to deal with so many unusual situations. So Josh, what is the structure of that team and what kind of people make up the key players? So the structure of our team is pretty robust. You can imagine that these incidents can go on for days or weeks at a time, or in this case, COVID for a year. The key players in our incident command system ranges from physicians to administration to maintenance. It's a really dynamic team. And to Stacy's point earlier, we had incidents within incidents. So we had COVID-19 going on and that was led by our CMO and in our physicians, and our chief nursing officer. But then within that situation, we had to stand up a secondary incident command team to deal with the fire. Wow. And then that was that was led by, you know, our ED doctors and our maintenance team, because maintenance was involved with, you know, how do we keep the smoke from getting in the facility and and can we close off certain parts of the of the area and reroute air to different locations? So you can imagine that the team has to be dynamic, but it also has to be deep in the sense of the bench because I don't want to burn out my team members because the same doctor that's serving on the incident command team then goes downstairs and then works in the ED. So definitely has to have a robust and well-rounded team for each type of incident. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's like the matrix incidents within incidents. It is. <laughs> well, Stacy, with the unique circumstances of the location that you guys have described so far, I can imagine you're constantly living and working in a state of hypervigilance. And I think you kind of alluded to that before we started recording here. So what does the day-to-day look like for you guys? Do you ever know when you come in or is it always just being super reactive? I think every day is different. And I would say it's not necessarily a reaction. It's just having that constant state of readiness and constantly monitoring the environment around us, certain scenarios. And I also think it's about having really solid relationships in the community and being able to have great partners who are able and willing to feed you information, perhaps earlier than it's ready to go to a partner in the media, for example. Mm. And as Joshua was sharing, just being able to dynamically bring our team together is key. And I I really think that gets down to the culture here at Valley View. Having someone like Josh in his role with his expertise and leadership skills brings people together with confidence and a real kind of attitude of let's all roll up our sleeves. We're in this together. Let's figure out what the right thing we need to do today or tomorrow, even if it's, you know, 10 o'clock at night, really being flexible and constantly being willing to, to work together. So I think that brings a lot of joy to the work as opposed to kind of living in a sense of paranoia or fear. So mm-hmm. I think that's important as well. Yeah. I like how it's such a big team effort and everyone just comes to work ready to go and and everyone's ready to jump in and help instead of, that's not my job. You know, it makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Well, Josh, what tools or methods of communication do you use on a regular basis? What are some of those tools you use and how do they help improve safety and preparedness at the hospital? Sure. So let's start with the tools first. Sometimes in disaster scenarios, the simplest tools, the less complicated tools can be the most effective, especially in short-term events. So whether it's you know using our local phone lines within the hospital, email, cell phones, we have internal radios that we use. We have our own radio system. And then we have a system in conjunction with the first responders, which is called an 800 megahertz radio. So those are the key and basic items. However, 
I think our game changed when we did adopt alert media. I'm originally from Illinois. We had a mass notification system that worked well there. There was no reason that that system wouldn't work well here. So we worked with alert media. We became partners with you guys. And the buy-in from administration really took effect during the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. Because when nobody knew what was going on, you know, early last year, we were constantly sending messages out, trying to update our staff. I think in those scenarios, the only thing that spread faster than the virus was fear. Yep. And these communication tools help slow or combat that fear and anxiety because you know misinformation or not knowing information can really affect staff and, and how they respond, especially in a novel pandemic. So really just looking at you know past events, specifically with mass notification tool that we used, the mudslide, it closed westbound I-70. So we sent a message out to our staff. We said, hey, no shift change. It's 7 p.m. You can't go home if you live anywhere west of Glenwood Springs. So press one and a variable response if you have a place to stay. Press two if you don't. So we had a number of staff members actually respond and say, hey, I got nowhere to go because you can imagine as a tourist destination, all the hotels were, were picked up. Oh, wow. Sleeping in your car is not ideal. So we took those individuals that responded, no, I don't have any place to go. And we reached out to them individually and said, all right, you can come to the hospital, check in at the ED. And we actually retrofitted parts of the hospital as makeshift hotels for our staff members mm. and for their families. So departments that were, were not in operation because it's evening at this time. And we said, okay, we'll put you guys up in these, in these rooms and these beds for the evening. And, and actually by about three or four in the morning the next day, the road had been cleared so that traffic could move. So our staff were able to return home after that. But it's just interesting to, to use these tools, whether it's a variable response, whether it's geofencing, whether it's a mass notification, just a general, hey, heads up. It really, again, helps to buy that resource of time that I talked about earlier quicker. Looking forward, the pandemic was also important, but even the Grizzly Creek fire, we looked at individuals and said, hey, we know that it may be shift change coming up. This duration of fire may go on for days or weeks at that time. We had no idea. How many of you can actually make it to the hospital? So we used a variable response from that. We said, okay, we have you know, 20 or 30 staff members from east of Glenwood that cannot come in. How can we work with the directors to draw on additional staff members from the south or from the west? So dynamic shifts in our staffing really helped us to not skip a beat with our patient care, because you can imagine if I have a nurse who's been working 12 hours and it's shift change, you know, we got to get her out of there. We got to replace her with, with, a, with a new nurse because you don't want a nurse working on, on your loved one who's been here for 16, 20 hours straight trying to do patient care on top of that. Right. Yeah. I mean, rapid communication can make a huge difference in outcomes. It's just unbelievably important. And I think the other thing you alluded to is if people don't know what's going on, they're gripped by fear. Fear leads to paralysis and paralysis leads to lost productivity. So a simple communication can avoid that whole loop. I would totally agree. Well, I'm happy you guys were able to make the investment, but Stacy, a lot of our listeners struggle with leadership buy-in on objectives like this. So how did you guys achieve buy-in from your leadership team and get approval to move forward with investments and tools like this? I think it was appreciating the increasing complexity of our incidents and also coupled with the ramifications of those incidents, not only for our operations, but also for our people. Yeah, I think kind of our conversation has really emphasized that if your staff, if your providers don't have the information to make informed decisions about, you know, their house, their loved ones, it's really hard for them to come to work and be present and do really critical work, which is providing patient care. So I think appreciating that our people are our most valuable asset 
and being able to communicate with them in a really effective manner was vital. And I think Josh coming in and really serving as the champion really convinced the leadership team that this was an absolutely worthwhile investment to make. And it has absolutely been well-timed as we've gone into the COVID pandemic and these other wildfires and incidents, just to be able to have that tool that, you know, Josh and I can pull up a chair after spending hours focused on kind of operational decision-making and quickly get into the alert media platform, craft a message and deploy it within a matter of seconds is really fantastic. And so just time and time again, whether it's, you know, in the middle of COVID, I think we were sending, you know, near daily communications through the alert media platform. And again, just being able to reach people where they are, whether it's on their cell phone, a personal email, work email, we know that communication can't just be one single channel and being able to use alert media to really reach people where they are was also effective because I think that's where we had fallen down before. Like, you know, a nurse isn't sitting in front of their computer checking email. He or she, they're rounding on patients. And so if we can deploy a communication that hits their cell phone, that's where we need to be reaching them. And so I think the different options are really important because we know we have to try to find people wherever they're going to be and get that message to them. I love that personal approach that you took when you're approaching management is that, hey, look, our organization is nothing without our people and our people can't do anything if their head's not clear and they don't feel like everything's good at home. They're not going to be able to focus on what they're doing here and be present and be 100%. So I think upper management understands that. They're like, ooh, you're right. <laughs> what can mm-hmm. we do to communicate better? So that's a, that's a fantastic approach. I like that. Peter, a prime example of, of leadership really adopting a mass notification platform was during the COVID pandemic, when we shifted to the vaccine distribution, My COO, who's a great guy, he is helping to lead the vaccine distribution within our hospital and for the public. And something that that he thought about was sending out a variable response to say, hey, just a reminder, your second appointment's coming up for your dose for the vaccine. Press one if you can come, press two if you can't. And then we could dynamically shift not only to reschedule that person, but as many of you know, these vaccines, once they're drawn up, have an expiration time Mm, of six hours. So it's, it's very critical early on, especially to ensure that we did not waste any vaccine that we could get an advanced, call it an RSVP, if you will, assessment of these individuals and say, okay, today we had maybe a thousand people scheduled, but 950 said they can come. So let's not draw up those extra 50 doses. That way we're able to save them and effectively and efficiently deliver those at a later time without any waste. Uh, just another example of rapid two-way communication facilitating better outcomes. And Stacey, I think you were going to say something. Did you have a comment too? No, Josh just said it so brilliantly. I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about post-mortem reporting. I'm always interested in that. So let's say that you get through these incidents and things like that. Maybe Josh, can you start? What post-mortem process like? How do you evaluate emergency events after the fact and learn from them for the future? Sure. So when we do uh, what's called an after-action report improvement plan set forth by Homeland Security. Security acronym is HC. And really what we do is we look at what were objectives? Did we reach those objectives effectively? Did was there area for improvement? And then once we identify those areas for improvement, we create action plans that say, okay, maybe we need to improve on this aspect. Who's going to be responsible for it? What's our target date? So really there's there's follow-up and follow-through to ensure that. When the fire happens again or the mudslide happens again, we have those weak points assured up. And you could take any after-action report, 
whether it's healthcare, private industry, federal governments, you take that after action report, I guarantee nine times out of 10, communication is going to be in. Lack of communication, whether it's interagency or intra-agency, it's important that communication occurs because like I preluded to earlier, it's going to save us so much time on the back end. It's going to allow us to make the correct decisions. We won't have to backpedal. So communication typically shows up on after action reports. However, I could say that it's showing up less on our after action reports because of the tools that we have in place. Wow, that's fantastic. And as far as taking the results here and sharing them with the broader team, Stacy, as you think about that, are there any best practices you can think of of getting people to accept what you're finding in these things and socializing that without upsetting folks and making them want to improve in the future? I think so much of it comes down to really being able to convey the why mm. when we're asking someone to do something, when we're asking a staff member to engage or respond, rather than just making it an outright directive really helping them connect with the context and the rationale behind that request, behind that action. And I think that's something culturally we're trying to do. It's, I think, a a work in progress, but it, it certainly comes to play when we're looking at emergency preparedness or really cultivating that culture of safety is to convey the why behind what we're doing. And I think we've got a great leadership team that really creates that context that then leaders throughout the entire organization can use. So it's not just telling, you know, a team, hey, you guys need to stay longer on your shift. It's really connecting them to the situation, right? So we're looking at a situation with the Grizzly Creek fire. It's evolving. We're not sure if you leave, will you be able to come back to the hospital? So can you please extend your shift, right? So having that context, and if we bring everything back to our mission and to our core focus, which is caring for our patients, I I feel like that just always resonates with people. Yeah. Well, this has been great. So we typically close out each episode by asking our guests to give the listeners just a piece of advice or a lesson learned that they could use immediately to make a difference in their organization. What can the audience do today in your mind to help improve their emergency prep or safety culture? Stacy, you want to go first? Sure. I think if we really think about all of this conversation at its core, we're talking about people, our people, whether they're in our organization or the communities that we serve. And I think if we orient ourselves around the potential impacts and the true impacts of these at-risk environments on our people, then it makes decision-making and really making that investment in communications all the more easy and critical. That's great. Josh, would you add anything to that or do you have something else you'd recommend? Sure. So in regards to emergency management, I don't care if you're healthcare, private industry, federal, or even just someone at home, conduct what's called the hazard vulnerability assessment. There's basic templates online that you can find, but the hazard vulnerability assessment is going to tell you what you're doing well in and what you're lacking in. I want you to take two of those hazards and I want you to invest in equipment and training for your personnel or for yourself related to those hazards. Then I want you to exercise those two hazards that calendar year. Once you feel that you've increased your response and recovery capabilities regarding those hazards, rinse and repeat, do it all over again. You'll see this shift or this jockeying of hazards, whether it's a forest fire and then you get better at forest fire response. Okay, now we have flood response or we have tornadoes or or what have you that's specific to your geographic area. I also want the listeners to not only focus on natural hazards, but man-made and technological hazards as well. So continue to assess where your vulnerabilities are, invest in equipment, invest in training, exercise in relation to those hazards, and then do it all over again. Fantastic advice. 
Well, Josh, Stacy, thanks so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate your time, expertise, and advice. And if anyone out there listening has follow-up questions or wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you? Josh, you want to go first? Sure. You can email me at josh, J-O-S-H dot Anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N at V-V-H dot O-R-G. Excellent. And Stacy, how can they get a hold of you? Sure. I'll just provide my uh, phone number here, which is 970-384-6626. All right. Wonderful. Well, thanks again for taking us time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And for the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.